y'all. Welcome to Conversations with Heavy Cardboard. I'm excited today to welcome a cool dude to the show. He's the designer of numerous games, ranging from winsome games like Iberian and Irish Gage in Northern Pacific to war games and logistics games in the upcoming 4X, most of which uh, are under his own publishing house, Hollenspiel. He's also an indie filmmaker, published author, and baker. Who knew? I am, of course, talking about Tom Russell of Hollenspiel. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, Tom. Hello. Thank you. So uh, let's start with the heavy hitting stuff. How was last night's peach cobbler, and did you get the stove fixed? Uh, no, the, the oven is not fixed. I had to go to my uh, grandmother's house to use her oven to cook the peach cobbler, which, which was okay. Just okay, though? Really? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great peach cobbler. I'm not... That's my first peach cobbler. I mean, maybe, maybe my second or third would be better. You know. All right. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's start with the obvious question. We'll get this stuff out of the way early mm-hmm. and then we'll go from there. So what got you started in that, this wonderful hobby of board games of ours? Oh, man. Well, See, the thing is, there are like six different answers to that question, and they're all right. They're all they're all correct. The it's good just, news is we don't have a time frame, I, so I start but, with one and end with six. There we go. But what what it was is I had a, a number of different uh, threads in my life, as it were, that all kind of came together and all pointed towards board games. Okay. Um, and it all kind of happened around the same time. To give you a little bit of context... Uh, for that, because I, I often say that board games discovery that kind of saved my life, and I, I mean that um, seriously. Um, before I got into board games, I was always a kind of creative person and uh, trying to do different things uh, creatively, like the filmmaking, uh, writing novels. I did right. some video games. I've, I've done all sorts of different things. But none of them uh, was I ever able to really connect with an audience the way I wanted to uh, or to make any kind of, of living at it. And I kind of was just pushing myself all through my 20s trying to find the thing. And I really was kind of not not really great to live with because I was just pushing myself all the time on, on that. And uh, a lot of that also had to do with kind of a a weird, like, fear of mortality kind of thing, where I want to make every every minute count. Everything had, everything had to count, and I wasn't going to waste my time doing this, that, or the other thing that wasn't, you know, the work, the art, whatever. Wow, um, that's deep. Okay, all and, right. Um, and I was kind of, kind of stressing myself out, making myself sick. And eventually I got so sick that... Uh, I got an infection. I almost died from it. Um, I got better, obviously. Um, right. <laughs> but, but that kind of made me stop and think about how I was living my life. And uh, really just made me try to be a better person and be more open to the things around me, experiences around me. And that's when the board games kind of came in. So we were, uh, this is one of the ways I got to board games. Um we were in Ann Arbor with a friend. Mary and I were uh, with a friend in Ann Arbor. Um, Mary being your, your wife, wife and, Mary and, and partner uh, in, in Hollenspiel, yeah. right? Um, and we were just like hanging out, 
in in the in the stores uh, in Ann Arbor, which I never would have done before because I'd be too busy working on a script or working on programming a video game or, or something. And okay. while we were there, we were at a comic book store, and in the basement of the store, they had a bunch of modern board games, and I had never seen anything like this before. Uh, and when was this? Would you say? Um. Would that have been like 2010, 2011, somewhere in, in, in around there? So okay. I'm fairly, fairly right. recent to the hobby. Um, okay, all right. But like me, I mean, I yeah. joined in 2013, so I get they, that. Yeah. They, they had uh, kind of the centerpiece was this huge, deluxe, like $300 version of some game called Catan that I had never heard of. <laughs> and I was like, why Why does this exist? Why, why is there this this huge deluxe version of, of this game. And then there's all these other games and they have the names of the authors on it. And who is this Reiner Kinesia guy? And so <laughs> all that's going on around the same time, like a couple days later, I'm on uh, Wikipedia hitting the random article button, which is just a great way to find out about stuff. Right? Sure. Just go and, down ra- random rabbit holes. Right. And, and the, the random article button pulls up, this this thing called 18xx <laughs> and and there is uh, a video from some guy named scott nicholson about 18xx and he has other videos about board games and around the same time uh i have a I have a small surgery related to the infection that had been taken care of and while i'm recovering from that there's this video game i've been working on and the thing with me with the video games is that I don't really have the the capacity to program really well. Like okay. it was always a struggle for me. So anytime I was doing anything in a video game, I would spend all night trying to do one little thing, and then find out that that has screwed up something else. I spent all in, and just I can never really get it to work. And while I'm recovering from the surgery, I'm thinking about this video game I'm working on and how, you know, after maybe two months, I'll finally have it to the point where I can start testing it and see if it's fun or not. And okay. I said, you know, what if I can find some way to to test it physically, right, to see if it's fun before I do the programming? And that's how I designed what was basically my first board game. And I tested it, and then, like, I needed to make a change. And three minutes later, I had made the change. It didn't take me all night. It took three minutes. I was like, this this is great. This is a lot more yeah. uh, time efficient, yes. <laughs> exactly. And so all these things kind of happened at once and came together and got me into uh, modern board games, got me interested in them. And we so we picked up a couple of games. Um, the first, we got two uh, at one time. One was Carcassonne. I don't remember what the second one was. I don't think we liked it as much. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I got into games and uh really into the euro games that's really where i kind of started and okay. i pretty quickly wanted to start designing uh the games uh and i was designing like light and medium weight euro games i just could not sell any of them uh it was weird because i thought well i'm gonna do these light medium weight euro games it'd be my niche and then like as like a lark i'll do these these weird little war games and train games and that's you know what i'll do for fun to be interesting but i'm going to concentrate on these euro type games and the euro games never sold the other one's dead and that's 
kind of how I uh, came to focus on train games and war games. And all those things happened at once, and they all, uh, you know, I also had to be in the right frame of mind to to be open to it. Because, uh, and here's a perfect example of that, uh, back before I got into the board games and I was doing the video games, I would get a lot of books on programming and uh, game design for computer games from my local library. Okay. And thanks to the, the vagaries of the Dewey Decimal System, they had a book in there which was uh, the Complete War Games Handbook by James Dunnigan, who's, you know, the guy who, <laughs> the FBI guy. And sure. at, the, at the time, you know, I'm not open to board games, so I get this, I read this book, and I'm like, what, what is this with the cardboard? No, tell me about the programming. There's not much here. I don't, I don't care. Get it away from me. And, but then coming to it again, and this happened like two or three days after I started learning about board games, I came across the book again. I was like, oh, this is great. Oh, so, wow. So oh, how it all comes around circular, yeah. huh? Yeah. So, so <laughs> that kind of threw me off because you, you said <laughs> that, that the Euros that you were designing, you couldn't get sold, but you were, you were having success with, with your uh, train games and war games. Well, well, here, well, here's the thing with, with like the, the Euro style games, I think, is I'm not going to say that they were derivative. They weren't intentionally derivative anyway. Okay. But I didn't really have a lot of depth of, of knowledge about all the different games that were out there. So I would create something and, and, and labor over it and then turn out that something like that already came out a year or two ago. And okay. Oh, so you you seem to be behind the curve, so to speak. I seem to be behind the curve, and I didn't... Um, get a whole lot of um well because you know in, in a way board games i mean they're kind of a luxury hobby sure you know and if you don't have like a luxury income like i i was buying maybe three games a year when we started in the hobby because we didn't have the money to plop down that kind of money on on a bunch of games whereas there are people we knew at the same game store who you know what games did they get this week? Right. You know, um, and we didn't have that uh, available to us. Um, okay. So there were a lot of games that I, you know, really didn't get into that maybe I would have enjoyed, you know, uh, and games that I was apparently um, designing similar games, but not, not knowing that they were similar. Right. Not having that background of, you know, yeah. a wide range of game that that makes sense. I get that. So, but what is it, I guess, about war games and train games either appealed to you other than, you know, hey, I can sell these. Uh, but what is it about those specifically that appealed to you and made you, like you said, you had to be in a certain uh, frame of mind to be able to do this? Well, the train games, um, to start with the train games, you know, Basically, it was less train and more more winsome to a degree. Sure, now, I, sure. I, I, I had liked the learning about the 18xx, and I've, I've played a couple of them a couple of times. I haven't really had the kind of dedicated group where I could play it, uh, play those very frequently. Fair enough. But uh, the winsomes, at least the, the, the 
the the licensed republished versions of the Winsomes were popular at at the game store. So ah, Chicago gotcha. Express, um, German Paris Railways, German, yeah. right? Yeah, sure. So um, you know, I enjoyed playing those a lot, and uh, I, I just I, I liked the whole uh, multiplayer aspects of it, the emergent alliances, the the stock uh, aspects. Now, I'm terrible at them. I'm terrible at stock <laughs> games. Mar- Mary Mary is great at them, and I, I'm the kind of person who will, like, bid $200 for a, a share right before the end of German Railway. So it's like, why, why did I do that? You know? <laughs> and, and just basically, it's worthless. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I get that. But so, um, so it's the whole adage, those who do, do, and those that don't design? Is that what you're saying? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that, but but with the Winsomes, like it, it, was, it was, the games were really appealing to me, and I, at that point, I was thinking, okay, I want to get better at designing games. I want to learn my my craft, as it were, mm-hmm. right? And I need to work with like really good developers. And these guys, from all I've heard. John Bohr is, is, is a really good developer, and it turned out to, to be true. So I said, I'm going to design a game specifically with Winsome in mind. And okay. that ended up being North and Pacific. And if they hadn't accepted it, I don't know where I would have shopped that around to. You know, it, Yeah, it, that, that's, a, that, <laughs> that's a limited market right there, yeah, right? Because yeah. for those that are unfamiliar with Northern Pacific... Uh, you know what? I have the designer here. Why don't you describe that? I mean... It's a game that has two rules. You either <laughs> either place an investment or you place a train to try to connect to that investment. And that really is it. I mean, it's really just focused on those kind of, if I do this, he's going to do that, and he should do that, and kind of emergent alliances and all that kind of stuff. And, and how it, turn order can affect that yes. and everything else. And it's as streamlined a package as possible. And I uh, submitted that to Winsome. Now, if, that wasn't my first idea for a Winsome design. I tried to do more like a traditional, uh, you know, stock holding cube rails kind of thing. And I just okay. couldn't. Um, I think I was a little, not scared, but, but apprehensive about like, oh, I don't want to send something to Winsome. It turns out it's terrible. They don't want to work with me and so on and so forth. So, so fear but, of rejection then? Yeah, kind of? yeah, yeah, to a degree. And then uh, when I played um, Paris Connection, mm-hmm. I said, okay. SNCF, I, I, the original I, game, yes, right. I can do something much simpler. And, and, and that was Northern Pacific. And when I, when I turned it over to, to Winsome and they said, yes, they wanted to publish it, um, you know, they really did a great job developing that game. It doesn't seem like it's a game that needs a lot of development, but the map in Northern Pacific is completely uh-huh. different and twice as large as the map that I originally submitted. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And they they really just took what were my ideas and just made them sing. Now, the next game I did with them, which was Irish Gage, that pretty much was exactly the game I, I submitted to them. Which uh, is to this date, my all-time favorite Winsome, so that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so, thank so, you for coming up with that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad I did. It, it seems to be the one of, of those Winsome games that are uh, that's the most popular with people, because uh, Northern Pacific is really 
divisive. Like people either love it or hate it, or it is a game or it's not a game. I, that's um, the that's the discussion or the argument that I've heard. Is this even a game? Da 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 da, and yes. all that. Yes, and it's a game. The more you play it, the more it becomes. Uh, I know that you know that I know that you know that I know that I should do this, which means you should do this. But then if I don't, and it it becomes just this huge meta game. It really, mm-hmm. really does become that. Yeah, and that's that, that's what I like about it. And, and, <laughs> and, and when I did North and Pacific, I thought everyone's going to love this. This is going to be great. And uh, I kind of feel that way about every game I do. Like this, everyone's going to love this, and they either they do or they don't. You know, and, <laughs> as it turns out. But uh, Winsome, like they are really good at at developing those games at because they know when. To, to have a light hand and when to have a heavier hand. They know what to do to make the game what it needs to be. And uh, I learned a lot just from that. You know, um, so... I've I, I've talked to John Bohr a number of times and the the development team that he has with him, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty impressive how they're able to churn these out year after year after year, mm-hmm. the, the Winsome Collection every year. Oh, yep. And... Uh, the great thing is, um, so when he uh, said yes to do North and Pacific, he said um, that any time he signs on with, with a new author, uh, he, he very specifically uses the word author for games, Yep. Um, he has to meet that person in person. He came up to Michigan to meet me and Mary, which no other publisher ha- has ever done that I've worked with. Interesting. And, Did he say why that was? Uh, I I never really asked, but um, okay. I, I think just to get the, the measure of me and, and vice versa. And, you know, I, I had – so I, I'm on the internet. I, I have I have read things about John Bohr, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm not going to say I was, I was a little worried, but, but, you know, meeting him, he was just perfectly charming. <laughs> And and just very straightforward and and very funny and 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 the way I would describe it is he's he he has all the best lines but makes you feel like you're the center of attention. Yes, that's that's and, very well put. And my my when I met him, I was I was nervous. I was very legitimately nervous to sit down and interview him at Essen and all, all because of similar you know you hear stories mm-hmm. and you read stuff on the internet and come to find out he's exactly how you how you say he is he's he's really funny dude <laughs> yeah so so you know so i i've done uh four train games for for winsome i have a fifth one that i'm playing testing and uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh Moving on from the train games, then there's you know the the war games, and really with the war games, those really started just like oh, I'm just going to do a war game as as a lark, and then that turned out to be the the first one I did. Uh, as on you the do, Alma, okay. was the first game I ever had published. Now it wasn't the first one to find a publisher, but it was the first one to actually come make out. it to market. Right, gotcha. Yeah, because sure. I, I even had a, a Euro game that had a publisher. Okay. It, it just never came out. 
Oh wow! Okay. You know, they they ran a Kickstarter for it and just couldn't get the money for it, and it just you know did didn't happen. You know, and that's when I'm actually trying to shop around now, which is uh, it's a game about horse breeding. So, horse breeding. Horse okay. breeding. Yeah. No, in regards to horse racing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you breed horses, you race them, and you bet on them. You get money from uh, stud fees. You get money from winning races. You get money from um, the uh, betting. So, you know, that's when I kind of got to polish off a little bit because that was something I designed, you know, seven years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, but, okay. Um, yeah, so I'm... Um, but uh, the war game was the first one to get to get published. It was a, a magazine game. Um, and I did another game as kind of a sequel to that. And then uh, eventually what happened is... Um, so the publisher that I was working with on, on my first game, um, that's uh, that was Lock and Load Publishing, uh, Mark Walker's company, and he left that company and formed uh, Flying Pig Games. And okay, do, I'm uh, familiar with that, yeah. He wanted to do a magazine called Yah. Uh, I did not pick the name of the magazine. Um, but it's I was Y-A-A-A-H, or maybe y- one too many Y-A-A-H. A's. Y-A-A-H, yeah. Okay. With, with an exclamation point, of course. And... Uh, I was the editor of the first seven issues of that magazine. So at that point, I am uh, designing, developing war games for a magazine and editing a magazine about war games. And then I just basically uh, fell, fell into that. And when it came time for Mary and I to kind of set up our, our own company, mm-hmm. uh, we decided to do it uh, war games. Because we were talking, huh. uh, even when I was just getting started, you know, if I can establish some kind of reputation as a Euro game designer, the money really isn't in the design at end of things, un- unless you have a big hit. Sure. Uh, the money where we could do this as like an actual job or profession is more in publishing. So we were talking about getting into publishing once I had some kind of reputation to trade on. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we, we wanted to do that. We And that's... I wanted to. I didn't want to just start a company r- right on, on the outset of, of designing games because, first of all, I wasn't confident if the games were good or not. That's why okay. I wanted to make sure I got publishers for games, and I also didn't want to just be someone who j- just appeared out of nowhere with, you know, please buy my things. I- I'd rather have like, oh, that's Tom Russell. He did that one game I liked. Or that two games I like even who knows and I'll I'll get some of his and so we were talking about that right from the get go um, when I was still thinking I'm gonna be a Eurogame designer and that's that's kind of where the name came from because we were like well what what are we gonna call this company and Mary's uh, maiden name is Holland okay she's Mary Holland Russell and we thought you know if we call it Holland Spiel it would sound like one of those european company one of those german companies yes, yeah yeah so the thing the thing <laughs> and when it came time to, <laughs> to start publishing the war games we said well we already have this name we might as well use it and we were a little worried like well it's not really a war game sounding name but really with any kind of name once you've started releasing stuff that's what the name's associated with so. And I, I, I think so. I, I think you, you have a very fair point that it doesn't matter if it's, 
you know, squirrel nut zipper games, whatever. It doesn't matter the name. It's just once you get a kind of like what you were saying regarding yourself, once you get Mm -hmm. that reputation, it doesn't matter the name. It's just the reputation of what you are, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of what we uh, went with there. And that's why why we will release a game with a name like Supply Lines, the American Revolution, Northern Theater, 1775 to 1777, or uh, Agricola Master of Britain. I got so much (laughs) flack from people. (laughs) Like, how, how, how naive are you to releasing a game called Agricola Master of Britain in, in, in the year 2016. I mean, there's already a game called... I know there's already a game called Agricola. It's a great game. I love it. But it's... What else am I going to call this game about Agricola? And his, you know, the Roman general. General. The dude, and, yes. Right, and, and, right, and right. his governance of Britain. And everyone's like, well, the game's not going to sell. People are going to get confused. No, no one's gotten confused. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. It's, it's like... One of our our best selling titles. Speaking no of which, one... uh, small tangent. Have you have you ever seen the 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 write up about Agricola that this yes. isn't a war yes. game? Yes. Right? That was, that was, that was, oh, that was so much fun. Uh, but yeah, it, and you know it it hasn't it hasn't hurt. So I mean, I I mean you can't just call a game you know some dumb thing. It needs to have a, a, a name that makes sense for the game, but it's. Yeah, you, you, you're not going to, um, especially for something like war games where it's kind of a niche market, it's not going to be on the same, it's not going to be on the shelf next to the Rosenberg game, you know? You're sure, sure, you're right. So, that, yeah. that, that actually makes a lot of sense. So, okay, so let's go big picture. Now, uh-huh. I kind of, I so I... I you read yeah, let's try this again. You wrote something recently on your blog uh, that I found really kind of fascinating, and this okay. kind of leads into a question. This is going to be a long way to get into a short question, I think. Okay. Um, about how you were considering front loading decisions of a game for an age of sale game that you're <laughs> in the process of designing. Yes. Yeah. And how things didn't quite work out how you imagined they would. No. Uh, but I found the discovery of the design process the interesting part on that. So, long way to get there. How does your design process work then? Well, um, and you can talk about that in particular, or just big yeah. picture. Um, well, it it starts either with me thinking, you know, I want to do uh, a game of a particular topic, or. Um, Sometimes it just starts just being interested generally in a topic. I do a lot of reading, a lot of history reading, just to to, to learn um, about different topics that may or may not ever become games. Who knows? Uh, once I think I want to do a game, I kind of sit on it and spend some time uh, just kind of researching it passively. Because if you go into it like, okay, I'm going to do a game on this, I'm going to read these things, to find what fits my mechanics, you're going to end up with a garbage game. You, you need to let it kind of stew a little bit, and you need to kind of be open to new input, new information, so you have something. And then once I kind of come up with a, a, a big idea or a mechanism or something that's going to bring it all together, that's, that's kind of the thing I need to kind of wait for 
that's when I start designing the game. By that point, I have kind of a clear picture of what I want the game to be. I want the game to do these things. I want to feel like this and look like this. And then I just start writing rules, putting pieces together, playtesting, playtesting, playtesting. Uh, and generally how I know when I'm done with that process is the game looks like my picture of it. I generally don't go into it as like, well, I'm going to explore these things as I'm designing the game because that's a very inefficient way to do it. Okay. Uh, so, sometimes I'll have this idea for the game, like this Age of Sale game, and then it just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, right. and then I'm gonna have to you know regroup and, and rethink it and whatnot. But um, other than than that, it's, it's so, kind of so. How do you how do you start it then? You you said you just you stumble on an idea, so it's more the either the topic or the theme first, or me, I mean, then you're talking about uh, mm, getting is me- mechanics mechanisms or theme. To work. Okay, uh, it you know it it's gonna depend on. It's going to be different sometimes for, for, for different um, topics. Okay. You know? um, sometimes I'll, I'll just kind of hit on the, the mechanism first and then kind of set that aside until I have something where it makes sense to fit those together. And then sometimes it's more, okay, I have this theme. I have this idea, this thesis about this. How do I represent that in a game mechanically? What is the kind of cool mechanic I can marry to that in order so, to make it something distinct. Because, I, you know, I've done war games that are, you know, kind of normal war games, Hex Encounter, uh, Zones of Control, CRT, but I've never done any, like, a real, like, normal vanilla war game. There's always something more going on there, right? Which and, is a good thing, I would think, yeah, right? Well, it, it, yes, yes, it is. It definitely is. But I can never just like take a basic war game system and make a game. I mean, there needs to be something there to, to give it life. Something unique. Something unique. Um, uh, something compelling. Something fun. Um, you see that it, it's more readily apparent in some of my more unusual games, like something like Supply Lines is is pretty idiosyncratic. Right. But, um, Something even like uh, my medieval war games, right? Um, I mean, there's some very simple mechanisms there, but each game has has something different in it. Um, so do like, you go into a design looking for that, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, a hook then, that, that uh, to, tweak? To, to or a that, degree, that, that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, yeah. Uh, so sometimes because, you're saying that that is what you design around. You know, you get inspired yeah. by, oh, hey, this is pretty cool, and I'm yeah. going to design a game around that. Pretty much, I mean, it, it, the design has to have a focus. Sure, it needs, it, it needs to have something for everything to focus on and build towards and support, because otherwise, it's just a a, a list of, of mechanisms and procedures and and phases. You know, especially with war games, it can get very procedural. I don't right. ever want any of my games to feel really procedural. Okay. I want it to feel like you're making decisions that, that matter. Um, and I, I try to pay attention to kind of the competitive side of things, I guess, to a degree. 
I like in what to do, way? Well, I, 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 I want the games to be a, a fun competitive experience, um, and I, I, I like games where you are. So okay, so so one thing I try to do in a lot of my games is have uh, what's going on is that when you are doing something that makes you stronger somewhere, it's going to make you weaker somewhere else. It's, it's going to create this kind of tension with both players having that situation, both players being weak and strong in different places, you know, probing for, for places to strike and going f- for, for the jugular, as it were. And I mean, that makes that's thematically accurate, yeah, right? If yeah. you're if you're pulling if you're pulling troops from one area and moving them to another, obviously you're weakening one area, yep. strengthening the other, right? Yeah, yeah, and so it's, it's trying to do that, um, and sometimes with within traditional war game mechanisms, but only to a point. Like I've done one game that has the odds based CRT, where I count up factors and compare to that guy's factors and figure out the odds ratio. I've done that one time and that was more as a, as a as a direct challenge to myself to to play by the rules as it were. <laughs> you know? Like follow the script of oh this is what a war game should this be. This is what a war game should yeah. Yeah, that that was a game I did for White Dog Games called uh, Valmonkey's Triumph, which I I really like it. It's a fun game. Uh it it's probably the closest thing I've done to like a vanilla war game. It did not sell very well and the the reason for that is the box cover because when it first came out the uh cover uh had the eiffel tower on it which the eiffel tower didn't exist at the time <laughs> of that battle so everyone was like like look at this game like that, that that is what the game is defined as it's the game with eiffel tower on the cover now immediately they withdrew that and put the arc to triumph on the cover which makes more sense but that's still the that's, that's still what people associate the game with. And, and that's going to be something that war gamers absolutely pick up on. Oh, yeah. So. Well, all right. So let's let's move on from. So that. OK. So that's war game side. How mm-hmm. you I, I shouldn't say just war games, but say something like 4X that's going to be coming out <laughs> similar. Like, oh, hey, I went down this rabbit hole. I found this interesting. Hey, I can make a game about this. Yeah, well, Forex. Um, so Forex is a game that, when I was designing it uh, originally, because that's a design that's been kicking around for a long time. And we uh, should we should clarify for folks that that Forex is not like Forex, like uh, no. you know, uh, Conquer, you know, or, or the Forexes. No, it's foreign exchanges. Yes, it's, it's trading currencies. There are seven currencies in the game, and each currency only has value relative to the other currency. So each currency exists in a currency pair. And you are trading them. You enter into contracts with uh, the bank uh, to trade them at a set rate, but later. So you make a contract now to trade, you know, one of these for two of those, um, and then that's only resolved like four or five turns later, ten turns later, whenever. And at that point, maybe the exchange rate isn't one to two. You're still doing it at one to two. And hopefully you're making a profit and not sustaining a loss. This sounds fascinating to me. You yeah, need to it, hurry it, up with this it, game, it's, really. Well, I mean, the, the game's designed, and uh, Cole Worley's doing the art, and he's almost done with the art. Uh, we're probably looking at an October release. Okay. Because we we need time to, to market the games and pace the games, right? Sure. So 
and we like being a little bit ahead of the curve. Like we want to make sure we have two, three months ahead so that when something happens, uh, you know, like we just have a bad month or whatever, we, we can, we're still ahead. Sure. I know that makes sense. I yeah. get, I get that. So, right. um, but that's a game, like I designed the game and it's like, this is the nerdiest, driest, most uncommercial game. I'm never going to sell this. And I sign me up. Right. I, I, <laughs> I tried to sell it. Now I, I went to a few of the, um, like the 18xx publishers. I thought, well, this okay. is the closest thing I can find to this. Maybe they'll look and they're like, no, that's too nerdy for us. And it's, it's like, <laughs> it's like, all right. Well, and, but, uh, we, but we were thinking with Hollenspiel, you know, the way we publish games, we can publish a dry, nerdy game that has maybe a limited market. And if we sell X number of copies, and X is a very small number, we're still in the black. You're still so, good. Right, right, yeah, right. So, so the, the great thing about owning a company is that I, I can publish what I want. As long as I can convince Mary that, that it will work. Like, I keep threatening that I'm going to do a game on the Barbary Wars and the War of Jenkins' Ear. Like, some really nerdy, obscure stuff. And I'm only half kidding there. I'm probably going to do it. It's on my <laughs> list. It's 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 good to be the king as long as you can get the co-king, i.e. the queen's okay, right? Yeah, yeah. As long, gotcha. as, long as, as, long as I get the empress to okay at this. Sure. All right, so we'll talk more about Hollenspiel in the yeah. second half here. But um so a couple of a couple of questions then on that is who is it that you're designing games for? Are you designing games for Tom? Are you designing games for who? Well, I'm I'm designing games to to be played by people obviously obviously and uh not necessarily just f for me because there there is probably stuff that i would put up within a game that others wouldn't so I, I get that stuff out of the game as it were um because a big thing is making sure that i do engage that i do have an audience because when i was when we were making films when i was uh Doing, doing the uh, novels and all that sort of stuff, I never really was able to engage. And sometimes okay. I, w I was like deliberately not engaging. There is a film we made, a uh, comedy film, and uh, there's a scene before the credits. It's a feature film. There's a scene before the credits, which is about a utility bill. It's about someone arguing with the utility company about a bill. And that's the scene that runs before the credits. It is 25 minutes long. It is a third of the runtime of the film. It's so that's 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 not necessarily very commercial, you know. <laughs> and, and and we have we, we have festival people who are like, no one is going to watch past this part. You you are doing this on purpose to to see to, how to, how how far can you push it, right? And, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, it was to a degree, but for us, it was really funny, you know. But so. But with the games, I don't ever want to be so niche and so limited that I turn off all the people for whom that game would resonate. Like, 4X will work for certain people, certain groups of people. It's not going to work for, yeah, it's not going to work for a whole bunch of people. Right. But as long as the people who it would work for are going to enjoy it, then I've, I've done my job. Okay, most, so... so so what you're saying then is you're designing 
it depends on what game it is you're designing yeah, yeah, and who does. you're designing it for, right? Yeah, and yeah, and, and sometimes I'll be pleasantly surprised by how well a game does. Like Supply Lines, I did not expect to do as well as it did. Now, I've always believed in that game, but I dude, I, logistics is awesome. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I, I I did not think I'd be able to get that that many people to to enjoy it. And the only times when I've had like really games that are like real flops games when I, I was trying to design for like a super broad audience so i did a, a fantasy skirmish game and i did a uh a, a sci-fi game the sci-fi game was called high speed hover tank and it is about hover tanks that move at high speeds that's right? really right? wow i would have <laughs> yeah. never gotten there okay and, right. and i thought this is going to be the one that takes off i don't really want it to as much because it's, it's su- such a, a broad popular kind of you know beer and pretzels game nobody wanted that <laughs> i like it mary likes it. a couple of people do but you know like six people played it and, and five of them i know personally so it it, <laughs> it didn't it didn't do well at all and uh, so I, I I'm not really chasing but, that that. But it was super... successful in a sense, though that it let you know what not to do, right? Oh sure, oh sure, and I I enjoyed the heck out of doing it. You know, I mean, it, it was a, it was a fun game to to do. The thing with sci-fi games uh, and fantasy games, for that matter, um, is that the art costs are so much more than what you get with an historical game. And so if it flops, it is an expensive flop. Ah. And so, so like at Hollisfield, we're looking at a couple of sci-fi games, not, not by me. Um, but we're going to be very careful with like how we're going to do the art because there's a certain level of art that's expected for those kind of games. Okay. Um, you know, you, you, you can't put NATO symbols on, on, on uh, space Marines, <laughs> you know, but um, at the same time, for, for the sci-fi market, a lot of guys they want the minis, you know. Okay, right, we, sure, we, sure. We can't do minis, you know. So it's it's a tricky thing, I guess, is what I'm saying. Okay, all right. So my favorite question to ask whenever I have designers on for mm-hmm. these conversations here, my favorite question to ask is because I get all different kinds of answers and I get a whole lot of laughs usually from designers is. How do you design? How do you decide when a game is done, and when do you put it to bed? Um, how I decide when a game is done? Well, it, it kind of comes back to uh, having the kind of picture of what I want the game to be. Once it looks like that, then it's probably done. Now I might kick kick it around a little bit longer just to double check and make sure. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, this is something I talked about in, in one of our, our podcasts a while back uh, with my Charlemagne uh, game. Which, right. That pretty much was done, but I waited a couple more months before releasing it to blind for blind playtesting. And it's just because I didn't want to be done with it. I knew I was done with it, but I didn't want to be. Because when I finish something, especially something that's big like that, it's exhausting. And I feel kind of listless, and I'm difficult to deal with for a couple days. I listened to that that. episode and I can I can completely understand where you're coming from that. Wow, this big project's done. Now what? I I have this hole in my life. Yeah. And I have other projects. It's just I can't like I 
I know I should do them, but so I mean, <laughs> so it's basically just just waiting until until that point or so it's hard. Like sometimes I'll know immediately. Like okay, I am done. I'm definitely done. Let's get it out there. And sometimes I'm like, I should sit on this, or I just want to sit on it because I don't have another big thing ready. You know, it, it varies really. Um, All right, so let's let's circle back then mm-hmm. on how do you get this picture in your head of what it is that you want a game to be? So well, is that at the very very beginning or somewhere along the process or or what? That's pretty much. I mean, it, before I start any actual design work, before I start like really writing rules, making counters, whatever, I ha- I have that picture. I don't start it until I have that picture. Now, sometimes, very rarely, that picture is gonna gonna change somewhat significantly over time. But generally, I have that, and I have that that thesis, as it were. Like I know that I want the game on on this topic that is going to be through this particular lens that uh, like Optimates at Popularis, which is my, my Roman politics game. I, once I figured out the kind of core mechanic of that, which is that every time you do something, it, it makes the base of the other political side angry. So they then are able to do more reverse that and you're able to do more to reverse that and so on and so forth kind of a tug of war that gets more powerful yeah yeah um and and you have kind of reactionary elements and all that once i figured out that kind of thing it was much easier to um have a picture of the game and what i want it to be now that's still the picture i had changed from from the start to the finish because during that period I, I wanted to include um, a couple of more thematic elements that I ended up cutting just because they, they didn't work or I, really I didn't like them. Like I okay. had ideas, I'm like, okay, this be part of the game. And I found I was purposefully avoiding those parts of the game and that's a good sign to cut it out. That makes sense, yeah. right? If you're if you're the designer and you're avoiding doing these, then they probably ought to be removed? Question yeah, mark? Ex- exactly, right? exactly. And the other thing is... Uh, when I know the rules, then I know I'm pretty close to being done because if the the rules had to be simple enough that I know them without looking them up. <laughs> right. I remember you. Yeah. I, I've heard you talk about this. Yeah. Be- because, you know, I, I have, I don't know, 24, 25 games that have come out. Um, there's a lot of rules. I don't want to keep looking up the rules to my games. I get them confused or mixed up. So I keep them as simple as I can. And so once I've gotten to that point where they're that simple and that elegant, you know, in a way, uh, especially when I first started designing games, when I was more in the in the Euro game camp, I had uh, a little maxim above my little workstation, which is that uh, a game should eat its own tail. You know, everything should fold into everything and, and be very, very, very elegant. And I tried to apply that approach to war games where they don't usually always have that kind of elegance, but they should. They should. Okay. They should be that, that, that so simple that, and straightforward. That's what you're striving for, at yeah. least. Yeah. So, so sometimes I fall short. You know. Every, you know. But generally, I fair do enough. Anything. All right. Do you impose? Really? Just as we do that, it starts up. Too funny. Oh, too funny. All right. We're just gonna deal with it at this point. Don't sweat yeah. it. Here we go. 
Do you impose any limitations within your own designs, whether it's components, scope of a game, or anything like that? Do you, on your own self, as a designer, having uh, mm-hmm. excluding yourself as publisher here? Yeah. Well, I, I do tend to design with certain uh, components or parameters in mind, and, and those are pretty standard, uh, like, war game things. For the war game especially, now, for, for like, the... The Winston games, I mean, I, I need a, a map of some size and, and some wood bits, and wood, wood bits are relatively cheap, so I don't... Sure. I don't st- and, and John pays for them, so I don't, I don't stress too much about that. <laughs> but, All right. uh, like, with, with the war games, I, I design around specific parameters that I always have in mind, which is, uh, you know, am I going to have a, a 17 by 22 inch map sheet or a 22 by 34? I haven't done 22 by 34 yet. It's all been 17 by 22. But maybe I'll you know I'll go up a, a notch soon. Um, counters I look at you know I mean I need to represent whatever units are, are there or present or whatever needs to be enough pieces to to do whatever we need to do. But uh, you know generally I'm, I'm gonna get 176 little cardboard squares on a sheet of counters. So I okay. design around that number. Like I don't want to get 150 counters. Because I have like thirty blank counters. What am I? Gonna or one hundred and eighty to where you have to have a second sheet, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you don't want a second sheet for four counters, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and 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 even further than that, um, it, you know, when you, the actual mechanics of cutting the counters, you have um, blocks of counters. You know, there are, on our sheet there are sixteen in most blocks, and there's going to be some slight variance in the way it cuts. Even with a laser, there'll be some slight variance. So if you have counters that are two different colors, one's going to splash over on the other, possibly. So I try to limit it to multiples of 8 and 16. You know, and like, that's just something I naturally do. If I have to put a blank in there to make it up, I, I do. So, you know, in a way, I mean, that is kind of a publisher restriction, but as a designer and publisher, that's kind of the way I aim for it, I guess. Okay. You know, Did, I, you, I, did you aim that way before Hollenspiel? Um, I did with, um, some games now, like Blood on the Alma, I didn't, uh, and then I had to actually kind of cut counters and, and, and reorganize things to fit a particular parameter that was given to me. And then since then, um, you know, I worked with White Dog, well, I knew they had 88 counters on a half sheet, so I designed it for 88 counters, and I did the magazine games, I knew that's, that's what that was, so... Um, so far I haven't come across a game where I needed, you know, some weird number or where I couldn't fill it up with blanks or status markers or whatever, you know, um, so, so it's physical limitations or do you put any other, uh, self-imposed limitations in your design? I mean, it needs to be short enough that I, I can play it in a sitting. Okay. I, 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 I haven't done any games that are, I mean, supply lines can take three hours if you're playing it. To completion and no one's uh, resigned or anything, but uh, that's about as long as it gets. Um, of course, Charlemagne's gonna be about three hours too, but generally it's a ninety minutes to two hour game. Sometimes, sometimes just an hour, which uh, you know I, I have two cats at home. <laughs> All right, and, and, I, and I and I have limited table space. You know, uh, so a lot of my games are on seventeen by twenty two because that's about. As much as I can fit comfortably on on the in, on the table dining room table, 
and that's it lasts fascinating for two or three that hours that actually plays a part into or actually drives this. The, that's how long the cat will leave it alone. Because I need to actually test the thing. If I can't <laughs> test it, you know, it's no good. I, th- you know. I, I think that might be my all-time favorite th- nugget that I've gotten from a designer up to this point is yeah. this is why it plays in this time space because that's how long the cat will leave it alone for. That is fantastic, Tom. Now, now should I get like a, a – I have a table in the garage I play games on sometimes, but usually those aren't my games. Usually that's, you know, I'm playing some other war game or, or – uh, Something I'm trying to learn, like like for a while I had um, what's the name of that the the Tresham game about the Dutch Revolt. Dutch Revolt, yep. Revolution, yeah. Dutch Revolt. Yeah. Yep, that's it. I had that in, in my garage, like trying to learn to, to play that. Which that that is a very procedural game. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. You know, they but, actually um, played that at Heavycom this year, and everybody seemed to really enjoy that. But yeah, very very procedural for sure. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what are your uh, what are your favorite, or I should say, what's your favorite mechanism that you, or or theme, depending on how you want to answer that, that you've explored in any of the games that you've designed? Um, I mean, I kind of like all of them, but uh, the, of course, right? The, Which is your favorite uh, kid? I get the, that. The 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 chick pole in uh, Agricola master of britain because it, it works differently than other chip pull type games so you have uh three cups that you put the counters in there is a friendly unfriendly and hostile cup and those represent how different tribes different parts of different tribes in britain feel about agricola and roman rule and every action you take in the game adjusts those blindly so if you do something that makes people more friendly, you take something from the unfriendly cup into the friendly cup. If you do something that irritates people, you're going from friendly to unfriendly or unfriendly to hostile. So you have a general sense of how people feel, but you don't know who exactly is with you or not. And the result of that is it creates a feedback loop. So stuff you do early in the game is going to affect stuff later in the game. And it's going to have a different clever. play experience. I'm very proud of that one. And, I dig uh, that. Yeah, a lot of solitaire games, a lot of solitaire war games, uh, they're either just games where you are a kind of captive audience to the story the game is telling, right? Or they're kind of stateless in that you 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 know you you choose if you're going to roll the die against that guy or that guy, but that's not going to affect which cards coming up next to make them move. You know, you have no control over how they're all going to feel. Whereas how they're going to react to it. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. Whereas here, it's not like you're playing an AI because it's not an AI, but they're, the things you do actually have repercussions. And it seemed to be very popular. It was, th- you know, the most popular uh, game that I've ever done. Um, it's, you know, for a while, the Winsomes were the games people, you know, owned the most copies of. But you right. know, now... Um, Agricola, I think, is the one people own the most copies of. Uh, people seem to, to really enjoy that and uh, had a lot of enthusiasm for the uh, sort of sequel, which is uh, Charlemagne, Master of Europe. We got blind playtesters on that. Uh, and, you know, we, we do that for several games where we try to get more eyes on it. And what happens is... Yeah. And what happens is you will have, you know, 
maybe 10 people volunteer and maybe one actually gets it on the table. Just because, you know, life happens, life gets in the way, right? Sure. With Charlemagne, we had a much higher number of people volunteer and a much higher number of people who came through with it. So it's just that, that enthusiasm for it, which which uh, really is exciting for me because I do want to be engaging with the audience and making games people are going to play and get on the table. So, I, I mean, yeah, so, ultimately, so that, that that is the goal. I mean, sure, you want to sell them, but also yeah. you want to have your games being played, right? Yeah, exactly. So that I say that probably is is the, the favorite mechanism right now, anyway, because the, okay. the thing the thing with that is that um, you are so you're dealing with like an insurgency situation, but you don't have perfect information. Right. There are some games. Uh, there was a, a game on uh, Nicaragua, which was like back in the '80s, not not one of the newer ones, uh, where you had like a track for ten different factions and went up and down on the track. But you had perfect information there, and you wouldn't have that in that situation. So yeah, you don't know what what the yeah sure that makes yeah. sense. You, you, I, it you, seems you have obvious a, nowadays, doesn't it? Yeah, that you wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. So you, you have a general feel, like, you know, like, yeah, there's more uh, in the hostile cup than the friendly cup, I'm going to be in trouble, but you don't know exactly who is, is with you there. Okay. So. Cool. So how do you feel that you've grown as a designer now that you've, you know, got a number of games under your belt? How do you feel like you're growing? Well, I've certainly grown more confident and, and more efficient with it. Uh because, you know, early on, I, I was really uh, kind of just blindly trying to feel my way around and figure stuff out and not doing a great job of it sometimes. Whereas here, I kind of have things I can fall back on. I have uh, some experience. I mean, I've, I've done this two, two dozen plus times successfully. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, having that confidence just lets me do bigger and more ambitious things than I was doing previously, whereas I was feeling more constricted previously, and I was kind of nervous about tackling, like, really popular subjects. Because, like, oh, I'm not going to do... I'll probably will never do a bulge game, because I, I don't There's do 738,000 yeah, of them? Yeah, Right. Well, 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 the thing is, you know, what, what will make mine stand out? So I've kind of gravitated towards obscure topics, because it's going to stand out anyway, Right. But I'm becoming more confident in in approaching that stuff. So I would say the confidence is like the big uh, growth as a designer, um, I think. I, I don't know. And I think confidence, I, I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing, right? The, yeah. The, the more confident you get in something, the better off you're going to be, whether it's designing games, podcasting, whatever, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. selling cars. I mean, it's it's confidence makes the world go round. It really does open doors for you. And it opens yeah. doors within yourself, I feel like. Yeah, and it allows you to do, to do your best work. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, or, totally or, agree or, with that. Or, or, uh, or, or, excuse me, earlier today, uh, Mary and I went to see the movie uh, Baby Driver, the Edgar Wright movie. Uh, I've, right? I've, I'm hearing good things, yes. And it is probably the best movie that he's done. And that's, that comes from, from the confidence, from, from he's learned his craft, and, and, he's, and it, it, he has confidence in what he's doing, and it's, it's not a parody or satire the way his previous films were. He's, he's confident enough where he can do, he can do it seriously. 
I guess. So, that, uh, yeah. Confidence yeah. is an amazing thing, right? Yeah. All right. So let's transition over on to put your publishing hat on here for right. a minute. And let's, let's talk Hollenspiel specifically. Mm-hmm. How do you go about selecting games to publish that aren't Tom Russell designs? Uh, well, we tend to look at uh, either. Well, first of all, we get people who who submit games to us, okay, and, and we'll look at them and see what what is this game? What does it have? You know, what is new or different about it? What can we, we grab onto? Like we're looking for some kind of hook, I guess. Um, otherwise, we kind of approach uh, designers we want to work with like hey do you have anything we'd love to publish something that that you that you've done um and that's that's how it worked out with uh cole worley um i was familiar with cole from working with him on an issue of the magazine and i okay. you know, heard about pax uh, premiere and i said you know if and also uh, he wrote a, a lovely strategy article on northern pacific i remember that and uh, you know that's Put them in my good graces there, uh, and uh, take and note. I, des- uh, you know, uh, possible designers yeah. out there, take note. All right, and and I, I, uh, you know, so we asked him, like, you know, if you have a game, we would love to look at it. And he said, "Well, I have this idea for a game about uh, opium trading." And we said, "That sounds terrific." <laughs> and yes. it, it paid up pretty well for us uh, and for him. It is, it's, uh, it is our, our best-selling and most popular game. Um, and then there are, so the other designers we approach like that, we, and, uh, then there are times when we want a game to exist, but I can't do it. Like I wanted a game on, uh, plan 1919, Fowler's planned and world war one right. with a massive, uh, tank, uh, attack. And, you know, I try to do that for about a year and so I just realized, knowing your limitations is what you're saying. Yeah, and, and, and I, I just realized, like, I, I can't make this work. But we knew someone who did a bunch of World War One games, John Krakowski, and we said, you know, can you do this game? He said, yeah. Uh, same thing with um, Operation Unthinkable, which is uh, one we just came out with about... Uh, Brand new, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, about uh, Churchill uh, attacking Stalin and... Uh, World War Three. Yeah, well, yeah, right at the end, right at the end of World War Two there. And um, we asked designer Ty Bamba, like, you do a game on this topic he said sure and that, that that's that's how that one uh, came about is we wanted the game to exist but um i knew i couldn't do it because I, I can't really do anything beyond like 1870 or so i think okay I just i just I, I don't have the brain space for it i guess okay i don't know but but there's something to be said uh, i mean mm-hmm. with that confidence comes knowing your limitations right yeah oh no yeah ex- exactly exactly and uh you know, so we look at, at, at games, and of course, you know, we play the games, we we, we test them, we develop them. Um, you know, are they fun? Do we enjoy them? Uh, I don't always look for what specifically is to my taste or Mary's taste, because people have different tastes. You know, I don't really dig tactical games all, all that much. You and me both. Yeah. And, um, you know, we actually had someone approach us with a tactical game, like a, and like we just we had to pass on it because we don't know it well enough to be able to develop it and give it the attention it needs. Right. So there are some limitations there, but I mean, there are plain tactical games out there. 
there's a new tactical game every week, and they're and they're always starting <laughs> uh, in the Eastern Front. So I mean, they 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 got that covered. You know. So unless it's doing something different, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. So on that note, has there been a design that's ever been too, I don't know, esoteric for Hollenspiel to publish that you've turned down due to that reason? I mean, because mm. opium trading's not enough, right? <laughs> not that I can think of, actually. I mean, if someone approaches with like a really weird idea, you know, assuming the game works, right. We're more than likely to publish it. Well, I mean, seriously, you know? weird, yeah. weird and unique is—it's a hook. It's a good thing. It, I mean, it that's, is. It is. That's yeah. what I enjoy in games. Mm-hmm. I mean, opium trading. Come on, mm-hmm. dude. Supply in in uh, the American Revolution. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Now, I think we'll probably stay away from the uh, Euro game space, maybe the train game space, because I, you know, I I do train games for Winsome. I don't I don't need to do them. Which okay, so that that eliminates that question. Then, have you ever considered, though, going a different direction than Winsome with train games, whether it's yourself or Company X? Not saying uh, you I, should, but no, I'm but, just well. I, honestly, I, I'm I'm just very happy with what Winsome has done with the games and and done for I guess my profile as a designer. Um, so I haven't really had any interest in in going. Kind of elsewhere with it. That um, makes sense. I, I, I guess if I had a winsome game that that you know they turned down, then then I might look somewhere else for it. But that hasn't happened so far. So okay, all uh, right, so far that... so good. Okay. Um, yeah, but I think generally staying away because someone asked uh, on Board Game Geek uh, not too long ago, like, uh, is is it possible since since uh, there's a couple people asked. Uh, since you have a publishing company that you can, can license the, the, the rights to the Winsomes and republish them, and I, I'm like, I, I don't think so. I don't think that makes sense because really when you want to – I can't really speak for John, but I'm assuming sure. he, he wants to license it for, for money, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and, weird and, and and wants um the the game to uh you know get there on, on on store shelves and to have a nice nicer more deluxe um edition right you really think john wants that i, well, I mean i'm, I, I'm I not know. I'm, I'm not being well, argumentative well, let's say, let's say, let's say the gamers would want that i think oh I th- okay I th- fair okay. enough yeah yeah, yeah. So, okay. so i i think um you know Hollenspiel doing something like that is it's more of a lateral move really because we, we we have we have the paper maps right we're not gonna be on store shelves you know the, the one thing we got the most the most flack for of anything else is infamous draft not, not not having a mounted board you know I think the reason that is is a product of the success. Now, I mean, Mm -hmm. this is me just looking from the outside in. But I would think that with the success that it's had being, I I mean, at least to some small degree, being a 2016 Golden Elephant Award finalist for for Game of the Year, um, I think it's reaching more people that aren't accustomed to having a piece of plexiglass so on and so forth um to where they're like wait what is this what is this paper mat thing yeah 
But even when it just came out, like when it first came out and we got the initial flood of orders, there were a lot of people who were um, colorful in, in, in their, in their, in their uh, <laughs> disappropriation about, you know, how... how I, I paid fifty dollars for this. How 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 you're trying to rip me off? And it's like, no, we're we're not. We're we're a more, we're a small war game company. Yeah, a little you know. boutique publishing house. Yeah. Yes. So it's uh ah so so th- th- that was like the the thing we got the the, the most of uh from from people and you know that and people wanting to know why. It costs so much to ship stuff overseas, and it just right. It which, just... well, actually, I, I was gonna that that's actually coming up here in a little bit, but we there's no reason that uh, that we can't talk about it now. So, do you want to explain for folks once and well, not probably not once and for all, but it, explain <laughs> no. to folks why you're not able to get folks across the pond your games from Holland Spiel? Okay, so we're a small print on demand company and what does that mean for folks that might not know so that means we we have a a printing partner who when you order the game he prints up the game and boxes it and then mails it to you so when you do when you do any kind of printing the more you do the cheaper each unit is going to cost of course which is why a, a traditional print run is going to be a thousand copies, two thousand copies, however many thousand copies. You know, we don't do that, so uh, our games cost more to produce. Uh, you know, I was talking with someone about uh, another war game company, and you know, they have a game that sells for sixty dollars, and it costs them eight dollars to produce. It costs us a lot more than eight dollars to produce our games. Because of that, it limits our ability to get distribution in general, even just domestically. Because you know, domestically, the the distributor or the the retailer is going to pay uh, much less than the MSRP in order to sell the game. We talked to someone who uh, owned our friendly local game, owns our friendly local game store about this, and she said that she pays about fifty percent of the MSRP to get the game in her store and then sells it. If we were to sell fifty percent of MSRP, we would be selling the game at a loss. That is how slender our profit margin is. Now, the good thing about this is that it enables to do weird, strange games because you don't need to sell as many copies. I don't need to sell as many exactly. Um, whereas the the bad thing about this is that you know we can't get that distribution even just domestically. Now, as far as going overseas goes. Um, you know, we have to get the product from here to there, across one ocean or another, and the shipping costs h- has to go somewhere, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we've talked to some of, actually several uh, kind of war game distributors in Europe about this, and, you know, they said, oh, we want your product. I said, okay, well, we can give you this much off. And they said, no, that's terrible. Well, that, that's what we can give you and still stay in business. Right. Um, we were looking at publishing the game, publishing copies for the European market in Europe. Like I was going to say, for, could you do print, like a print on demand overseas? So right. We, we had a couple of people looking into that and the prices we were getting from the overseas market were much more than what we're doing here domestically. 
which um, if we were to just sell the game at cost for what's produced you know in Europe mm-hmm. it would be the same amount that people would pay ordering it from us domestically and paying and the shipping, shipping it over only wow. we wouldn't have any profit over uh, with the other way so we, we need to stay in business sure obviously this this, this, this is my my only source of income our only source of income is are the games we, we publish here so um, that is why the the overseas situation is the way it is. Uh, this is a question that we get asked pretty much every day. No, I know, and that's why I wanted to yeah. touch on it. No, so it gives I, you a I chance to, yeah. Um, like, what about? I, 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 oh, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, what about co-publishing? Is that something that you've ever entertained the idea of? Uh not not so far. I mean, it might if. If, if we find someone who might be interested in that, we, we, we might do that. Okay. I mean, the one thing is that, you know, we're, we're a small print and demand, low volume kind of company, and and we like that. And we want to okay. grow our business. But, you know, we get people who ask, like, why don't you do a Kickstarter for your games? Well, first of all, we'd be doing, you know, 20 Kickstarters a year. <laughs> one so, for each game, right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so first of all, that, that that's not so great. And... Secondly, I don't know if we can sell, you know, 2,000 copies of supply lines. It's selling really well. I don't know if it makes sense to print 2,000 copies. Okay. You know, because then we got to store it, like, in our garage. And I only have so much garage space. <laughs> and, 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 and winters up there can be rough. You don't want to park the oh, car outside. Oh, oh, yeah. No, no. Winter in Michigan is terrible. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, and uh, now we do what we do offer. Now we, Mary and I talked about this when we started the company. Like, should we even offer our games to European customers? Because um, before Highland Spiel, she was working for a a little folio company um, that did war games, mm-hmm. and they had this similar problems as well as well as what we're having. And she said, you know, I, I hated to always be disappointing people. By telling them, you know, no, I'm sorry, this is how much it costs to get it over there. Right. But we said, well, let, let's offer that, but let's also offer uh, print-and-play options. So for all of our games, we have print-and-play versions of Wargame Vault. Now, I don't know if it's going to be really economical to do a print-and-play of Horse and Musket, which has five counter sheets and a big map and, you know. Right. But it's there if you would rather do that, and it's, you know, 13 or 14 bucks. Uh, and then you, of you make your own copy MSRP out of that, shipping. right? Yeah, I think so, honestly, and I might, I might be stepping on myself, and I might get yelled at by uh, my better <laughs> half by Amanda, by by okay. offering this. But um, maybe uh, as we get closer to Essen time, we might be able to make a bulk order on behalf of some of the folks here in the peanut gallery and in the herd that are heavy cardboard fans and pack a bag uh, full of Hollenspiel games to mule over there for Essen for folks. I don't want to I mean, promise that, but well, that might be an option. We're, okay. we're, we're okay with that. We're, yeah, we're I okay reckon that. you were right. You know, we had someone approach us about Essen about uh, who wanted to get some copies of traffic. Uh, right, particularly for Essen, um, and the thing is, just you know, we tried to figure out the cheapest way to ship it, and it was still going to be two, three hundred bucks to ship, 
you know the 50 copies they wanted so it right it didn't and it wouldn't make sense for them because on their end you know either they're going to upcharge to cover that shipping or they're going to be taking a, a loss a loss right so i'll yeah. i'll see what we can do you and i can talk as, okay. as time gets later and i can go into the uh our slack channel our patreon slack channel and and stuff like that and see if folks are interested in that but anyway we're getting off topic i apologize but that, that's i okay. want I, I want to be able to i mean we've done a couple of playthroughs on the youtube channel of an infamous traffic it mm -hmm. was a golden elephant award finalist mm -hmm. for a reason it is a fantastic game not to say that your designs also are not <laughs> i'm just as an example yeah but I want people to be able to experience these games. That's why I get excited whenever, you know, a long out of print game is getting a reprint. I think that's a great thing, you know, not a bad thing yeah. because I'm losing value on a game or, or whatever. So I want to be able to spread the joy of this hobby for more people that mm -hmm. are interested in that. So I, if that's our way of being able to kind of pay it forward, then, then that's something that we want to explore possibly doing. So yeah. cool. All right, so moving on. Getting a little bit heavier here for a minute. Okay. On your blog, you previously wrote that you've become better at seizing the moment. How does that manifest itself in relation to Hollenspiel? I write a lot of blog posts, so you're going to have to... Uh, what, what was that specifically? I uh, no, no, Shoot. Um no, it, it's it's more or less just seizing the moment and capitalizing on things. And I think this kind of ties in with the whole more confidence thing. Okay. So in in how does that show up in on the publishing side of things as far as being able to be like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, we can do this. Yes, let's do that. Well, I'm hmm. I mean it uh I mean we definitely been able to do more. Uh, I think because we, we've been because we've been reasonably successful, mm -hmm. uh, we're now able to be even more successful. It, it's kind of it's kind of like those those games where you the, the better you do the the better you're going to do. Sure, it takes money yeah. to make money. That kind yeah. of concept, right? Sure. Yeah, uh, and you know, like when we first started out, I don't think we would have a, a game from a designer like Richard Berg. Like, I don't think he would have wanted to do a game with us necessarily. Okay. At first, so because you're saying because now that you're more established as a as a publisher, exactly, exactly. Um, and you know, we're now able to do games with cards. Like when we first started, uh, we couldn't do cards because we we just couldn't find a good source for them that that was uh, cost effective. Okay. And our very first game, uh, the Shell Campaign, which is a uh, it was a second edition of a Brian Train game. We turned those cards in into chits because we could not um, do cards. Well, now we can do cards. Now we can do them effectively, and now now we are able to uh, put more in the game, and we're able to do kind of more unusual stuff, um, like forex. Like mm -hmm. I don't think we seriously would have considered forex, which is a game I've had for years. Uh, we wouldn't have seriously considered publishing that when we first started Hollenspiel. But on the success of, of Infamous Traffic and getting more attention to us in our games, it, it makes more sense to publish that. You can so, take more risks then, I guess, is yeah, a way yeah, to put it? Yeah, 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 that's a good way to put it, yeah. And, okay. uh, and those risks, I mean, they do seem to be paying off. 
so so far. I mean, we haven't had a game that that hasn't made his money back. They've I mean, all made a profit. That's. Some degree. That's fantastic, right? I mean, yeah. isn't that the ultimate dream? Well, yeah. other than having a massive hit, I would think, as a publisher, yeah. to not lose money on a, on any game. That's that's yeah. kind of a pretty cool mark you know, to have, I, I would think. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, you know, a game like um, House of Normandy is is a medieval quad game with four four battles in it, and that's not a <laughs> super. I'm sorry, you saw one of the comments. I... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. I, I, I shouldn't have looked over on that side of the screen. <laughs> uh, uh, for, the, for those listening after the fact on the podcast, uh, what, one of the resident comedians in our, in our Patreon Slack channel, Brad, he's like, great, got to send Tom a prototype of my game about a porta potty empire. So... Yeah, I I think I think Mary might veto that one. I mean, we we're talking before about you know thing about obscurity, right? With, with, with and it's not that anything would be too obscure or esoteric, but there's there's stuff that <laughs> cracking me up, guys. Uh, there's stuff that uh, maybe would not be in in the best taste. Sure. So so a game about a porta potty empire would <laughs> would not necessarily fit. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, no, that makes sense. I mean, you want to keep, and, and, it, and, keep and, it. And more seriously, there, there are certain lines that we wouldn't cross. Like, when I was looking at supply lines of the American Revolution and it, it took off, I said, well, what else can I do here? Well, first of all, I can do the second half of the war. Because that's only the, the, the North Theater. Right. Game. And then I was like, what, what else can I do? Can I prize to other conflicts? And I was looking at uh, the American Civil War. and But I immediately said, well... I don't want to do a game focused on supply, logistics, and manpower in the Civil War because that's just going to kind of. Now you're getting up. into slave trade. You're getting into all of that stuff. Well, I would think, well, right? Well, less that and more. Um, more that if you put an emphasis on a game on, on the logistics aspect, and on the. Uh, you know the resources that are available to a side, right? Right. Um, then that's what the story becomes. You know, story supply lines is the story about those supplies. The American Civil War that's really dodgy because you have this uh, lost cause mythology that says that the South lost because um, the North had all these resources and so on and so forth, and that might be an aspect of the civil war but if you make that the focus of the game it it that becomes what the game is that becomes the story the game is telling and gotcha. that okay. story is one that is repugnant so there are certain things where you know i we will draw some kind of line okay but that's there's not much because we'll publish a game on opium trading sure you know? right so, but see, and okay, so let's explore that a little bit. Now, I understand now, and I and I, I want to tread carefully here because I don't okay. want to uh, overstep or 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 fill in the right word here. But at the same time, I feel like something like that can be done as long as you're respecting history, but also respecting. I mean, you're not glorifying 
these things, right? That yeah. that obviously nobody is wanting a game to represent. I get that. But like, uh, let's use an infamous traffic as that example. Obviously, the opium trade was was not a good thing for the Chinese in the 19th century, obviously. But it was abstracted out. But at the same time, it's also dealing with history in, a, 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 you know, real history. This is what happened. And how do you... Is it just a personal thing that you're like, you know what, this is where I personally draw this line? Or do you think that it just doesn't belong as a gameable topic, for lack of a better way to put it? Um, I mean, you know, just, I, it, 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 it might be somewhat a personal thing, but like in the case of traffic, uh-huh. you, the, the game is, is about the opium trade. And, but it's about it in in a, in a very pointed, very cynical way. Right. And I think the game kind of communicates a point of view in, in a way, if you're looking for it. Um, in a way that a game like Puerto Rico mm-hmm. doesn't. Uh, Completely glosses over slavery. it. Correct. Yeah. So it engages with it, and it engages with it in, in, in a very cynical way. I would say that the, the the sense of humor in the game, in Infamous Traffic, right, uh, goes a long way toward towards us saying yes, this is something we want to do. Okay, that's fair, and you we know? touched on that in our review of it last week. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, I mean, it's all a matter of of how, how how you focus it and and what what the focus is. Um, I mean, it's a complicated, thorny issue, and it, and I do have like an emotional reaction to certain things. I'm going to because sure. I'm a human being, and human beings do that. And a hundred percent, yes, yeah. yeah. So it's it's a tricky thing. It's particularly because we I design and publish a lot of war games. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a tricky thing because a lot of war games they only engage partially with 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 the topic. Right, because you you're not seeing the side effects or the end result of what yeah. it is that you're modeling, right? Yeah, yeah. There's something I wrote in uh, I wrote a couple of blog posts, kind of exploring this this kind of thing, and mm-hmm. I used a quote uh, that uh, Stanley Kubrick gave in an interview when he was working on his uh, film on Napoleon that never got made, um, and and he said that um, you know warfare is, is, is like Watching two eagles uh, from the distance, and it can be very beautiful, but you zoom in and, and they're, they're tearing apart a dove. You know, that movement, the maneuver, you know, that's very appealing. And, and I think war games can explore that very well. They don't do so well with the dove, with, you know, what, 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 with what it is. And so it's, it's sometimes it's hard to explain to people that I, I publish war games, I design war games, because they don't have that frame of reference. Mm, okay. And, and they just, uh, they just, you know, like uh, my uh, my family, um, you know, they're very happy that we're doing well. But my my grandfather, who fought in World War Two and in Korea, uh, was like, I don't know how you could make a game, a game uh, out of this, uh, right? Uh, sure. Out of battles, you know. 
Yeah, it, it's all about personal perspective and experiences, right? Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting. So, okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, all right. So let's go. Let's let's flip it over to something a little bit more happy and positive then. Okay. Sure. Um, uh, you mentioned in your last podcast that you were happy with the way Holland Spiel is working for you in, in terms of size, output, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so what's your vision for the company down the road, be it growing, et cetera? Or do you have one? Is it just, hey, let's see where this, you know, this puppy goes? I mean, we, we have a, 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 a vision and a, and a plan, but we also are trying to be adaptable and play it by ear. Mm-hmm. Like the plan we had to start with, um, would have us at a very different place right now than where we are now. Uh, the success of traffic and Agricola, uh, Master really, Britain, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, that that's <laughs> a farm game. Uh, the success, the, the success of those two games, um, and our, our line in general. And our ability to kind of engage with people and get them to like us, I guess, and like our products, <laughs> um, has put us in a better position. Because I did not think I would be doing this full time at this point. Because we started the company uh, August. I mean, we started publishing August of last year. Okay. And by my last month uh, working at my, my my day job was in February. Wow. And since then, this has been a full. And we we spent maybe in a couple of years we'll be able to it, and this happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would like the company to keep growing, and we have been doing very well um, this past uh, quarter compared to the previous quarter. We keep doing better, which is what we want to do, you know. But we want we don't want it to grow beyond the point where we can control it, you know. I um, completely and, understand that. And we like the fact that we are able to do. Uh, little games and and publish um stop stop reading the chat tom i don't mean to i just see it on the corner of my eye (laughs) so his Um, buddy tom's buddy brian is in there tom includes a note in every game do you like me check yes or no thanks brian um so and and mary just staring at me she has no idea what um but like you know, we publish usually five games every three months. Oh, that's all. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so, so we, so you know, some some months we do two games in a month. Some months we do one game in a month. You know, it depends on the month. And right. uh, you know, we like that pace. Is we're able to make a living at it with that. We're able to give the time and attention we need to develop the games, and so we're working on them uh, full time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we like that. I don't really see us getting to the point where we're going to be, you know, doing a traditional print run with like two, two, three thousand copies for at least most of our games because that that stops us from doing uh, kind of obscure stuff. Because if you're doing two, three thousand copies, you want to sell two, three thousand copies, right? Right. You don't want to pay for and, warehouse space. Yeah. And, or garage, uh, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, like I I know of a publisher, uh, a Eurogame publisher, who uh, his first game, uh, he didn't really understand the business very well when he started. 
he published like 20,000 copies and <laughs> they're mostly all still in his garage. Right. You know, Oops. and, and, and the, the amount of money he had to put, I mean, I'm very risk averse. All right. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 as a I, former I, professional poker player, I understand that phrase. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I, I hear about people who get themselves in trouble trying to, you know, when they're publishing games or, or they, they, they might lose their house. I think there was a, what was the, there was some Kickstarter. Glory to Rome. Where, where, yes. Like, I don't ever want to be in that position. Right. So I want to keep it the size that we control, where Mary and I can do it, you know, day to day. And it, it lets us do what we want to do uh, with our lives, which is great. Because I, I, I own my own time. I don't need to ever go in. Because I, I was driving, when I was working, uh, the commute was an hour, so I would drive an hour to get to work. I would work between eight and eleven hours, and I'd drive an hour to get back home, and then try to design games on top of that. And I, it was very difficult to do that. That's exactly what I was doing with the podcast and YouTube channel. Exactly that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I I come from a familiar space with mm -hmm. you with that. Yeah, and. Uh, but the, the, the last, uh, the, the month before I quit, um, we had done well enough. We had made as much money as I was making at the job. It was like, well, we, we can probably do this. And uh, the, the week or two before I quit, I got in a car accident. Uh, I was driving to work. I was stopped on uh, 696, which you don't know what that is. That, that's an interstate. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, and so I was stopped. The person behind me did not stop and rear-ended me at 60 miles an hour. Ouch. Damaged the car. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, uh, all I'm things okay, considered, somehow. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's but, just but, stuff. You can get that replaced. I, we can't replace Tom. I keep telling Mary that, um, but, <laughs> but you, um, it just made me think, you know, this could have been it going to this job that, that I, I'm not enjoying that's eating up all my time. And just all those things kind of came together. I said, all right, let's, let, let's try this. And it's, it's worked out so far. The very first month, uh, that, that I had quit, um, was actually the month where we, we basically uh, made zero dollars because of things we had to pay for. And th but after that, we've, been, we've done fine. So All the right. first month was a little scary. Was like, sure. Was, was this a terrible idea? <laughs> but um, so far, it's been a good idea. It's, it's done right. well for us. And, uh, you know, cool. I, I get up every morning and play board games. I mean, that's that's my job. Rough life, right? You know? And you <laughs> And, and you get more done uh, playtesting and, and developing That's if you're doing so, it all day than so if you're doing weird. it on the weekend. I know. Isn't that weird? <laughs> so. All right. Which game from Holland Spiel is your favorite to play yourself, whether it's yours or someone else's? Mm, that's a good question. Um, so so, so once, once I've, I'm done developing a game and it's been released i it doesn't see the table as much because i'm then developing another another game sure but um i really like an infamous traffic 
first of all. I mean, it's just it's done really well. It's really nice to get that on the table. Um, I really like supply lines. I really like um, Agricola short. I mean, you play it 60, 90 minutes. Master of Britain. So, yeah, Agricola Master of Britain. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just used to calling it Agricola. You're fine. Uh, At this point, it's just a running joke. You're fine. Don't sweat yeah, it. Yeah, I, I know. I'm not sweating. Um, and I like Atamati's at Populares, which, you know, sold all right. It's actually doing a little better than, than it was. But, you know, being a, a politics game, it uh, doesn't have quite the same market as a war game or even a game like, like Traffic. Right. Um, but I really like it. And everyone should play it. You should all buy it. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> well, I mean, I it's up here over my left shoulder because we're going to be reviewing it in the upcoming oh, okay. months. So, so uh, hopefully uh, hopefully that helps. So, I, I'm uh, I, I, okay. I wasn't going to ask this, but I'm just curious because mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little self-indulgent. I'm curious how the Golden Elephant Award uh, nomination has helped traffic for you. Or has oh, it? it? Oh, it, it helped. It helped. Yeah, we saw a significant boost in sales uh, after the nomination came out. Cool. Um, and uh, the two videos particularly. Okay. Have seen a boost in sales, and it, it really, uh, it really helped us. Uh, particularly the month when it was announced, because we were doing a little slow that month, and that just picked everything right up. Because I think that was the month uh, Automatis came out. Okay. Which didn't sell quite as well as we hoped, but then Infamous Traffic pulled up the slack there awesome all um, right well i'm so, glad to hear it cool yeah because it's always it's always some you know out there in the ether in theory it helped but you know mm-hmm. we we never know so that's good to hear i appreciate it good yeah. glad to hear all right so that's pretty much really all i got except for the uh the quick fire questions that i ask all uh everybody who sits down for conversations with uh heavy okay. cardboard so um, so with that said, you ready? There's, it's a series of six fun yet thoughtful questions, oh boy. uh, that off the top of your head, no, you're not allowed to just tank over it and think real hard. Okay. All right. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. First one. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you are? Uh, so how old do you think you are so- without knowing your age? I'd say 30. 30 is a good, 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 uh, good age. All right. If you could master one skill that you don't have right now, what would it be? Playing NetHack. What is that? NetHack. It's it's a roguelike computer game from the 80s. It is one of my favorite games. I am rubbish at it. Not not am, be not be like a woodworker. Not learn how to play the violin. NetHack. All right, awesome. Yeah, I, I love I, it. I, I love to play NetHack to completion once. <laughs> I, I've never been able to do it. All right. If you could have dinner and conversation with any person in history, pick one. Go. First one off the top of your head. Um. I'm just drawing drawing a blank. Uh, besides Mary Holland Russell, um, well played, sir. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, you have Jesus, you have, you know, Alexander yeah, the I, Great, I, you have. I, I just, I just can't like who, who would I want to? 
Who would um, be thought? Charlie Bowers. Charlie Bowers, silent filmmaker who um, he did animation, uh, like stop motion animation and live action together in, in his patented Bowers effect. And the films are just delightful. I would love to pick his brain. There you go. Awesome. Great answer. All right. All right. So what are number four? What are three things that you want more of right now? It could be physical. It could be characteristics. It could be an idea. It could be like stuff like time. It could be money. It could be, you know, patience. It could, whatever you want it to be. Three things well, that you want more of. Patience is a good one because I'm I'm not a very patient person. Nor am I. That's why I throw that um, out there. <laughs> um, time, because I never do seem to have enough of it. You know, I, I have all my time, but uh, I get to the end of the day and like, how how did this day end? You have 24 how, how, hours. How do how you did, use I, them? Yes. How did I run out of that? Um, what else would I want more of? Um. Oh, I don't know. I'm pretty content. You know, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with where my life is. So it's, it's hard to to want a lot of things. You know, I want some Criterion Collection DVDs, but I don't know if I'm ever going to get to watch them. So, I mean, what? Well, if you got the time, then, then there the you time, go. If I had the time, then I'd be able to, able to watch them, yeah. <laughs> All right. Number five, what do you appreciate most in your friends? that they get me not everyone does i dig it that's uh i think that's important that's something that we all want in our friends right i like that all right all right and number six (laughs) i feel like this is always a softball because i always get the same answer but i'll try (laughs) what is your absolute dream job I mean, I, I I have that. So I mean, I, I, it's 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 hard it's hard to, you know, be beyond that. Um, I always wanted to uh, get into comic books. You know, write comic books. And, okay. Uh, that's hard to break into. That's ridiculously hard to break into. Uh, because I wouldn't have known either, that. Okay. Yeah, because the you know the story of how to break into comics. Everyone has a different story. There's no one way to do it. Every way is different. And you need to really be able to push yourself uh, in ways that I can't. I can't really push myself on people. I'm more oh, someone. Oh, okay. You know, I, I don't I don't have that, that gene, as it were. That was the big problem with uh, the Euro games, with trying to pitch them to publishers. They always wanted me to come to a convention to pitch them. And I am terrible at that. Aha. Uh-huh. So. Okay. All right. So since... You are in, you know, indie film guy. So, bonus one. What okay. one movie most deserves a sequel? What one movie most deserves a sequel? That's that's a really good one. That's a really tricky one because <laughs> if a film really deserves a like if it's really good and deserves a sequel, it probably doesn't need one. <laughs> You know, Tom like, going going levels deep on this. I mean, I, I can think of like my favorite films, right? And there's like there's Barry Lyndon. That's one of my favorite films. 
There's uh, Anything by Wes Anderson. is one of my favorite films. I wouldn't want a sequel to any of them, though. They certainly are more worthy of it than some things, but I wouldn't want it, I don't think. Um, you know what movie I really enjoyed that came out last year that did that probably will not get a sequel? It's a new Ghostbusters movie. That should have a sequel. I enjoyed it. Done. That's my answer. All right. There you go. <laughs> All right. So, seriously, um... This has been a lot of fun, and it's been really enlightening to hear, I don't know, I guess both the design side and the publishing side of things from you. So I really appreciate you uh, you taking the time to do this. And also for Mary, because I know you know this is she's hanging out for a couple hours, so be sure to tell her thank you as well. Um, and on a personal you, note, um, not something I want to, you know, uh, get really deep into or whatever but right. when i was going to quit my job um i just wanted to say thanks that uh you sent me a really thoughtful uh message that uh, that you didn't have to like you didn't know me really but when i was going to make a run at doing this full time and that was really meaningful and it really it really touched me and i really appreciate you doing that so thank you tom that meant a lot so, all right. So that's all I got. Um, hopefully you had a good time with this and uh, hopefully it didn't put you too much on the spot. No, it's fine. No, cool. All right. So everybody watching at home and listening after the fact on the podcast, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, all this is brought to you guys and made possible by our patrons uh, over on patreon.com forward. Uh, so it's patreon.com forward slash heavy cardboard. If it's something you want to support and help support us being able to do this full time and bring more of this content to you, then consider uh, supporting us. We definitely appreciate it to the 276 patrons that we have out there thank you very much and on behalf of amanda and myself and big thanks to tom and mary at hollenspiel definitely go check them out hollenspiel.com and uh yeah they have some really unique and fascinating games really excellent games as you guys can see behind me so go check them out at hollenspiel.com otherwise thanks a lot everybody really appreciate it so, Tom, say goodnight. Good night. Goodnight.